0: Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. but You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is God's Word. Well, first of all, we're working through 1 Corinthians, this ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had started and planted a few years earlier uh, in the Greek city of Corinth, a metropolitan area uh, near the Mediterranean Sea about 2,000 years ago, a Roman colony. And we've just been working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, looking at it as ancient wisdom for current issues. Now, there are at least two, at least two general misconceptions of the passage that we've just read. The first misconception is that Paul's list of sins in verses nine and 10 is intended to condemn the people who commit those sins. But a careful reading of the surrounding chapters will reveal that that cannot be the case. The second misconception, oh, first, let me go back to that first misconception. I'm not going to really talk about this, mis- that misconception today. Because if you've been with us, I addressed it a few weeks ago. If you go to our website and look up the series Healing Sexuality, you can find a direct interaction with verses 9 through 11 in the recording, Healing Sexuality Part 4. So I encourage you to look at that if you missed it. The second misconception, however, is what we're going to deal with today, that Christians should never file lawsuits, ever, especially against each other. But a careful reading of other New Testament letters shows that that cannot be the case either. Paul's emphasis in chapters 5 and 6 and 7 was on urging the Corinthian church to understand that their lifestyles did not resemble the wisdom of God for two in two areas of life in particular their sexuality which we've already addressed and the way they were resolving conflict and that's what we're going to look at today And that's really what this passage is all about. Seminaries did not, when I was in seminary, and frankly still do not offer much teaching and guidance for how to manage conflict. Um, But as I've discovered over the years, most of pastoral counseling, most of leadership issues in the church, and frankly most of the letters that were written in the New Testament all involve conflict. Conflict is everywhere in ministry, as I've discovered, and as I have painfully had to learn on the job for many years. But I think for all of us, we discover entering our field of work, our vocation, or our jobs, or even entering something like a marriage, we discover that we are ill-equipped to handle conflict. Now, I'll bet that you were quite disturbed by the account of incest reported in 1 Corinthians chapter five, I'll bet you were less concerned about this report of frivolous litigation in chapter six. Because we live in a litigious, sue-happy society. So incest freaks us out, but unnecessary litigation? Eh, it's not so much of a big deal. You know, 15 million civil lawsuits are filed in our country every year. And according to one uh, statistical poll, 80% of the world's attorneys live in the United States. (laughs) You can check me on those stats because they're a few years old. But both sexual deviancy and litigation in ancient Corinth disturbed Paul equally. Paul is just as scandalized by their litigation practices as he is about their sexual deviancy. So my encouragement to all of us today is that each of us should take seriously your weakness to manage conflict. If you do not believe that you have blind sides or weaknesses in how you respond to conflict, you're not living in reality because we all struggle with responding to conflict. So I want to encourage everybody to take serious your own weaknesses in managing conflict and take hope in God's wisdom for you in managing your conflicts. Because the wisdom of the gospel is sufficient and frankly greater than anything else out there for resolving our conflicts and pursuing peace in all of our relationships. And I want to talk to you today about the sufficiency of the Bible's wisdom and actually also the necessity of civil law, but finally, the power of God for your conflict. So the sufficiency of the Bible's wisdom for our conflict, the necessity of civil law for our conflict, and finally, the power of God for your conflict's. Now, the Bible's wisdom for conflict is sufficient and superior to anything else in allowing us to manage our conflicts of all sorts. The beginning of the section, verse 1, Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, the grievances that Paul is referring to, because he doesn't get specific, but the grievances were civil in nature, scholars believe, because of phrases that he uses later in verses two and three, like trivial cases or matters pertaining to this life. He means the ordinary day in, day out issues of life uh, that we deal with, uh, that we have conflict over. Uh, This is the nature of the grievances that Paul's referring to, civil disagreements, Now, was Paul demeaning and disrespecting the secular uh, courts? Uh, The secular, uh, the words he used is unrighteous court system. Is that what he's doing? No, not at all. It wasn't a matter of the civil court's incompetence of the day. It was a matter of the civil court's incompatibility. Let me explain what I mean. Some of you will remember, if you go back to First Corinthians chapter two, Paul wrote, "Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away." You see, Paul has been trying to help the Corinthians understand throughout the letter that conventional worldly wisdom which they were so enamored with, that was kind of the source of a lot of their conflicts was who they were enamored with uh, in the world, leaders and teachers, Uh, but the conventional worldly wisdom that they had bought into and biblical wisdom are in opposition to one another. For example, uh, Roman justice, the Roman justice system was based primarily on privilege and status, not on an individual's equality with other people. So the haves could take advantage Legally, of the have nots. And you'll know in the Corinthian church, we're rich and poor, we're free people and slaves. So, uh, one ancient playwright actually said this of the Roman legal system of what avail are laws to be where money rules alone, and the poor suitor can never succeed? But Old Testament justice and the aspects of Old Testament justice that carried along into the New Testament church by the teachings of Jesus and his apostles protected the dignity of the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. For example, the ancient wisdom of Deuteronomy chapter 16 said this, "'You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. A bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous.'" justice and only justice shall you follow. In light of this and from Paul's Jewish background and from Paul's perspective as a Christian who had planted the church, he saw the church as a family, as a spiritual family, as a new community with a new identity. And so what Paul's saying here is this, the family of God, and he uses words like brothers, right? brothers suing each other, the family of God should use the wisdom of God for household tiffs and disagreements. Not only was there a present incompatibility between the wisdom of the legal court systems, the secular court systems, and the wisdom of the gospel of Christianity, uh, there was also a future incompatibility. Not only a present incompatibility, but a future incompatibility. He says things like, hey, don't you know that the saints, you will judge the world and we will judge angels? Now he's referring to how uh, in Old Testament books like the prophet Daniel and in New Testament writings like the book of Revelation and in the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, it's clear that God's gathered people, that God's restored, saved people will partner with Jesus after his return to bring justice to civilization. And Paul's referring back to that saying, your future indicates that you will work with the Lord Jesus to bring justice to the human race. Whereas the civil courts were filled with judges who would not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul is saying you, as Christians, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the point of verses 9 through 11 with that list of sinful lifestyles. Paul is saying that the wisdom of those who are perishing is obsolete for you in managing your conflicts with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says in verse five, can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? This is a subtle dig at those in the church there who were, as he says in earlier chapters, puffed up, full of themselves, full of hot air, arrogant, prideful. He's basically saying, you think you're so wise, but you can't even resolve simple things and you're taking each other to civil court? You're so wise that you can't fix this stuff amongst yourselves? And he says in verse six, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. He's essentially saying this, you guys are airing out the family's dirty laundry in public, and it stinks. It's a bad witness. Paul knew that they were better than that, not because of anything they had in themselves. He knew they were better than that because of God's wisdom that was available to them. Paul knew of passages and concepts like Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense or the teachings of Jesus that says, if you cannot overlook an offense, if you cannot in your heart and practically let it go as though it had never happened, then you must confront the issue lovingly and gently. Jesus said, and there's a a wonderful encapsulation of it in Matthew chapter 18. I highly encourage you to look at this. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. See, if, if you can't let it go in your heart, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And then Jesus said, and if that doesn't work, you, bring a co- you, you increase, you expand the circle of accountability until resolution is possible. And Jesus says, if your brother doesn't listen, you bring a couple of other people in to provide more accountability. And if he, and if he doesn't even listen to them, then you bring it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, then you pray for his or her soul. But consider that they're outside of the family of God because they're not acting like somebody in the family of God. Jesus says, gently increase the circle of accountability until a solution is possible. The Christian's new identity and the Christian's future destiny is all the wisdom that their conflict needed is what Paul is trying to convey to them. And so he says in verse one, how dare you go to the secular courts when you have everything right here, the wisdom of God, to resolve your disputes with one another as family. Now, is there any civil recourse for ancient Corinthians? Is there any civil recourse for 21st century American Christians who live in a litigious world. Of course there is. Paul's not saying you never have any business in civil court at any time with anyone. Civil government and civil law must sometimes by necessity intervene. And the apostles believed that. God established civil government to curb human conflict in a fallen world. The church has spiritual authority, our denomination's book of church order says, that the church's authority is ministerial and declarative. The church has the authority to declare what is the will and salvation of God. The state carries the sword, not the church. Paul would say in another letter to another ancient church, Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The apostle Peter would essentially say the same thing in 1 Peter chapter two. So the apostles are all saying civil government, even secular civil government, even for the Christians is a necessity. As citizens of this country, you and I have rights. We have rights afforded to us as citizens of this country to bring matters of injustice, matters of legal confusion, loss of property to servants of the state via the court system. And the Bible doesn't deny any of you that option as citizens of this world. But as citizens of God's kingdom, Christians are called to appeal to his wisdom and his resources first and primarily. Ken Sandy was the founder of Peacemaker Ministries and now another ministry for resolving conflict called Relational Wisdom 360. Uh, Ken used to be an attorney uh, before he founded Peacemaker Ministries. And in his book, The Peacemaker, which we have on the table, we have resources for you and your conflict on the book table and on our website. Ken Sandy would say, would write in The Peacemaker, civil courts can make rulings on legal and property issues, but they have no jurisdiction or ability to address sin or other matters of the heart. See, this is what Paul was getting at. Ken Sandy went on to write, therefore civil courts are completely powerless to resolve the root causes of a lawsuit or to help people break free from the sin that is fueling their disputes. If the dispute involves matters of the heart, as almost all lawsuits do, God wants it resolved through the one institution he has established to minister to the heart, which is the local church. And so Ken Sandy goes on to give very helpful advice. He writes, do not, if you're a Christian, do not file a lawsuit unless it advances the kingdom of God by promoting justice or providing a positive Christian witness to others. Do not file a lawsuit unless you are confident that it will too benefit your opponent by invoking the powers of the state to enforce accountability in their life that will allow them to do what they're called and responsible to do. Do not file a lawsuit unless you are confident that, number three, it will enhance your ability to become like Jesus as a Christian, your ability to know and serve Christ by serving and protecting those who he has entrusted into your care. So my encouragement for us today is that we should become wise for conflict by submitting ourselves to God's wisdom. For conflict. Shame on the Christian who utilizes the world's resources and wisdom before using God's. If you're taking somebody to court, if you're or if you're just inflicting and initiating drastic measures on another human being before you have exhausted all the means of biblical wisdom available to you to resolve the conflict. If you're doing that first, then good. But if you're going to court first, if you're taking drastic measures according to the wisdom of society first, shame on you. Don't take that personally from me. I didn't say it. Paul said it. In verse five, he says, I say this to your shame. He wants them to realize that this is a bad thing. This is a tragedy, When we harass each other because we legally can, but morally shouldn't, we're defeated already. Ken Sandy likes to say there are two types of people in the world. There are peace fakers and peace breakers. From a psychological standpoint, it's the fight or flight concept. And he likes to say that peace fakers want to run. They want to hide. They want to deceive in order to avoid or minimize a problem. Maybe you see yourself as, by default, a peace faker. But then there are peace breakers. I kind of see myself as a peace breaker by default. Peace peace breakers want to win. Peace breakers want to dominate. Peace breakers want to humiliate in order to eradicate a problem. So Paul says in verses seven and eight, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? The late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia in 1987 wrote a really, really neat essay in uh, the Christian Legal Society Quarterly. And in it, commenting on this Passage of Scripture. He wrote, "Good Christians." Oh, I got to go back. Slides are some. This clicker is causing me grief today. Um, Scalia wrote, "Good Christians, just as they are slow to anger, should be slow to sue. Unless one is careful, litigation can affect the soul as well as the purse." And he went on to write that. Any judge can tell you of embittered litigants who over the years have sued repeatedly over the same matter or against the same defendant. Judges can tell you of brothers and sisters permanently estranged from, uh, by enmity because of a boundary dispute that is, in financial terms, inconsequential. Whatever the legal rights and wrongs of such matters, Scalia wrote, these results are not worth it. But the power of God, friends, the power of God for your conflict is yours through Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. The power of God is yours for conflict. That is a bold statement and it is true. I'll remind you of a couple of things the apostle Paul said in other places. In the beginning of this letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, he said, to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And a passage related to that, the opening of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Notice what he said, when we sue each other, we should be ashamed. But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is God's power for your salvation. That a perfect man would substitute himself for a bunch of criminals and serve their sentence and die their death and rise from the dead, justifying them and proving their reconciliation with God their father, that gospel, that good news is God's power for conflict. What I like to say, people, is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the very power that is working in any believer, enabling you to resolve your conflicts. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you and can help you respond to conflict and pursue peace, even when others don't want it, that power at work in you can bring peace to you. And so I am asking you, I am encouraging you, especially if you're not convinced you're a Christian and if you still see yourself as an outsider to Christianity or an outsider to the church, I encourage you to discover what we are all discovering, to embrace the power of God first to make peace with you. You need to be reconciled with God, your maker. And in the power of that reconciliation, become a peacemaker. Become somebody who endeavors, because God has made peace with you, endeavors to live at peace with everybody else. The power of God for conflict is real. But the wisdom of God for conflict. You see, because we, we need more than power, right? We need wisdom. The wisdom of God for conflict. Think about this. The wisdom of God for conflict was revealed in a man who allowed himself to be wronged. An innocent, just man who allowed himself to be wronged, who allowed himself to be defrauded. Tim Keller likes to say that the crucifixion and and the tribunal that put Jesus into that crucifixion, both from the Gentiles and the Jews, it was a kangaroo court. It, It was completely unjust in every way. So the wisdom of God for your conflict shows you a man who was willing to be wronged and defrauded and rather than demand his own rights. That's what reconciled you to God, that Jesus was willing to be wronged and defrauded. Christ is the perfect peacemaker and mediator. Are you a runner? Do you try and run from conflict? Are you trying to run from your conflicts? Are you trying to run from Jesus himself? You will find that he pursues you. He's the perfect peacemaker. Jesus pursues you. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And Jesus, Paul says in another place, even while we were still sinners, died for us. You trying to run from God? He's pursuing you. Are you trying to win in conflict? And your conflicts, are you trying to win and dominate and humiliate? are you trying to beat God? Are you trying to humiliate God in your life and in the world? You will find that Jesus will give you his other cheek as well. You slap him in the face, he'll turn and give you the other side of his face. Jesus overcomes evil with good. So to peace fakers and to peace breakers, he is the ultimate mediator to God and reconciler of your soul to God and enabler with power and wisdom that we should be reconciled to one another and to our neighbors in society. So this gospel of his gives us wisdom to discern what to do in conflict, which is primarily to pursue peace, to pursue forgiveness, to pursue repentance. And his gospel not only gives us the wisdom, but the gospel gives us the power to do all of these things in his strength and not our own. His gospel is wisdom that is not only sufficient, but infinitely greater than anything the world, even when it's good and noble, anything out there offered to us for pursuing peace and resolving our conflicts. The legal system is necessary. By the grace of God, the legal system can be good. But the Bible's wisdom is greater. And God's power is available. Become wise. Get wise for your conflicts. By submitting yourself to God's wisdom for conflict. And that's what we're going to say about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that in our hearts, even if we have not filed suit against people uh, with uh, the court of Carroll County, uh, we have sued one another in our hearts. We have condemned and judged each other for how we talk and the decisions we make and what we say and how we look and how we act. Uh, We confess to you, Father, that within the confines of our souls is a tribunal that is merciless against others who offend us and break our personal laws every day. And we confess it to you. We have no right to judge. We have no right to stand in condemnation upon each other. We thank you that you did not send your son to condemn us, but to save us as the great Prince of Peace. Now in his name, help us to put that desire down and to really try and pursue peace with each other and and to seek your wisdom for all of our conflicts and rely on your power, Lord, your power to resolve our conflicts, not our own. Father, we confess and are tired of running. We confess and are tired of trying to win. We ask that you would be God in our, in our conflicts. We ask for your wisdom, for your power to bear witness in our lives. In our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, amen.